0: You're listening to the chronicles of young professional 30-somethings, navigating life, love, work, and politics. It's Breaking Bread Takeover, hosted by Jocelyn, Tanya, and Natalie, presented by Goodstock Consulting. We're super excited to have our second guest on the podcast today. We have my good friend, Candice. Um, Candace, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to the people that are listening.
1: Hey, everybody. So my name's Candace Fan. Um, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina currently still living in Charleston, South Carolina, and I am a real estate agent and slash interior designer.
0: Yay. Super excited to have you on today. Um, I know when I first met you, I think you were going through the getting your training for interior design, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But first question I kind of wanted to ask you is, was real estate even like always on your professional career journey or did did it kind of fall into your lap along the way?
1: So good question. I get that a lot. Actually, real estate has always been a part of the plan, but not selling real estate. So, went to college, and I've always wanted to be a female black architect. Growing up, I just knew I was going to design and draw and um, just create like buildings, apartments, hospitals. And of course, when I was in college, I couldn't get through to the architect department and couldn't pass. So changed my major and decided that I want to do interior design because it's still in that same field. Um, And then actually just got my real estate license on the back end of that. So it wasn't intentionally a part of the plan as far as selling is concerned, but being in the field has always been one of the biggest dreams I've had since a child. So yeah.
0: Gotcha. That's really cool. And then thinking about um, since you got, so you got your uh, interior design uh, credentials and then you got your real estate license, were you always working with the company that you were working with? And in what capacity can you work in real estate without a real estate license?
1: So with the company I'm working with right now, I've been working there for seven years. And I started as a like a front desk receptionist. I actually applied for a real estate marketing role because my degree was in business management and marketing, but I want to do real estate marketing. And of course, when I got hired, that wasn't a part of the plan, but it happened. And uh, from that point, I transitioned and got promoted to different roles in land apartment permitting, and then I'm eventually to sales. So I've been there for seven years. Um, so I'm a listing agent for this company. I only can actually sell these houses for this new home builder. So I actually can't sell independently of the builder. Um, And when you do have a real estate license, so if you to kind of break it down, you have a general brokerage agent and then you have a new homes agent. General brokerage agent can sell a house, they can sell a mobile home, they can sell land, they can sell wherever. New home sales agents are literally listing agents for that builder. So we only can tell what that builder is putting on the market. So that's the capacity of where I work and then how my real estate license is used in that profession. Hmm, That's cool. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know a lot of people come to me and they talk about it and they're like, Can you? I have, I have, even with our company, they do allow me to sell probably like two or three houses outside of Dan Ryan if it's like family. But Mm -hmm. honestly, it's like not really, Mm -hmm. not necessarily saying that, but I don't really have a lot of family right now at the moment that's looking to buy. So, Sometimes it could be a little bit difficult, but I have a lot of people coming to me from outside trying to sell them a house that's not from the builder I work with, and mm-hmm. it's like a little hard sometimes, so I have to pass them to another agent, <laughs> <laughs> which sucks, but it's okay. It's okay.
0: <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, I didn't really know all that the back end of um the differences between the two, so that's interesting to know. Yeah. Um, so pivoting it a little pivoting a little bit rather to your personal. Experiences with home buying. I know when I met you, you had already had purchased your home, I think a year or two prior to us meeting. Um, so Mm -hmm. I wanted to know from your perspective, when and how did you know that you were ready to own your own home or at least go down the process?
1: So at this point, I think I was out of college maybe three, three and a half years probably, roommates. We were renting a property from a family member. It was a mobile home. It was actually on section eight and it was just run down. And I was tired. You I know you've been in situations where you've had roommates, you love your roommates, but you just want your own space. And that <laughs> was, that was a place that I was at. I was like, girl, I am tired. I love y'all, but I am tired of y'all. And <laughs> you know, so I that's where it kind of pushed me. Um, and I think honestly, I just really got tired. I think the property that I was living in was not updated either, you mm-hmm. know some apartments that have the, you know, updated furnishings and all of that. And it just, it, it wasn't my, my style. So I kind of started saving money and being a little bit more disciplined with finances. And that's how I kind of like segged my way into home ownership. But that took me almost two and a half years to kind of save that money to actually get to that step. So it wasn't like, oh, let's think about getting a house. And then right. I just like went to go get a house. like, <laughs> it didn't <happen> like that. <laughs>
0: yeah I wish it did you know I've been in this process for about a what over a little bit over a year now um, but I remember when I first spoke to you like make sure you have a therapist mind your <laughs> mind your emotions and it's yeah. definitely been helpful um, but uh, a little bit more about um, like the process and we'll get into um, some other things a little bit later but um, in regards to saving, because obviously you can't just wake up one day, unless, I mean, some people are fortunate enough to just be able to wake up and say they want to buy a house. And then the next day they're signing contracts. But for us real people in the real world, um, especially single, because uh, I think you purchased your home like, when you were single. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and I, I know I'm going through this process myself as a single woman. Um, did you feel like you had to save differently? Did you feel like you had to save a certain amount? Or what did you, what, were your, what was your thoughts around that, especially going into it alone, so to speak?
1: So um, it took a lot of discipline, I will say, and it took a lifestyle change for me. I think I was still like in my college days, even being after college, you know, you still want to go out, you still want to hang out with friends, but that going out, Starbucks, gas station, picking this up here and there, drinks, you know, dinner, that stuff adds up. And I honestly had to cut back lifestyle wise and started using that money to start pocketing away um, to add to a savings account now um even with that i mean that's probably what $200 a month that doesn't necessarily say that's going to save up for a down payment so what i did to offset that cost which is going to be in which is actually in my ebook so i'll talk about that too but i actually started my candle craft business and i was like man i got the hustle spirit i gotta find something <laughs> else that can make me some money so and i love candles, candles. <laughs> i love candles and i'm like i need to come up with something that I, that's quick that's not stressful so i started making candles and it ended up working for me and i did like a two for 20 and y'all i was at uh ven- vendor events i was selling candles out my trunk i was like the the neighborhood candle lady <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you need-? <laughs> i'm serious i was like you need candles like do you need this because girl i make it for you what kind do you need and so I, people listening can't see Nat showing a candle she has. Oh it's <laughs> so cool. But I'm like, I use that as a hustle to start. And I mean, my first candles didn't look anything like that at all. They were just some mason jars and but they last long and I got good reviews and people purchased. Wow. And I used that money to save and you know, but it, it was something that I love to do. So I wouldn't say start a business and to make money because then you'll be miserable you know you're going to start something that you hate doing you're only going to do it for six months and mm-hmm. now you're back you know doing something else and now you're miserable but start something that you like turn your craft or your hobby into a in, into a cash cow you know mm-hmm. and allow that to fund it and that's what I used to save so in my singleness that's what I did I didn't have rich parents I still don't have rich parents <laughs> <laughs> um, and I didn't get, you know, the the silver spoon handed to me. So I used that to help be a part of the the funding and it helped out a lot. So yeah.
0: That's awesome. Look, I completely forgot of all the things you do that you also sell candles and I have them all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> I, them put it, I
1: put it on the side for now until I, it's gonna come back out, but yeah. it I'm working on some other stuff. But yeah, that's initially what starting my savings account. Did you so. make candles like at home? Yeah, I still have the like. I would show you my background right now. It's kind of, I'm packing because now I'm moving to another house. We're not about yeah, that, <laughs> literally, I'm like cooking in the kitchen. Um, I mean, literally, I had my mom pouring candles. If you go back on my Instagram page, Abundant Life Restore, um, you'll see like old pictures of us making candles like in my house. I mean, it was like a trap house for candles. I'm not I'm kidding. <laughs> so um but yeah that that was I did it by hand yeah Cool. wow that's impressive sorry yeah. I keep like having exclamations <laughs>
0: oh, good look I, I completely forgot because she does the candles like room sprays car fresheners or car air fresheners she's she's your go-to okay <laughs> um, <laughs> um but one thing I, I was curious about I just thought of it um I forget what you were talking about that made this come to mind, but thinking about the different TV shows that showcase real estate agents, so thinking about Selling Sunset or Selling Tampa, which I've been yes. obsessed with, and oh, I yeah. think new one on own for Atlanta, but I haven't watched that one yet. Do you feel like those are like accurate representations of the role that you play in real estate? And of course, they add drama and other things that probably aren't included in your day to day. But just curious, from your perspective, are is there anything about that that's actually realistic um, outside um, of them?
1: I will say, yeah, a lot of it is realistic. Now, I will say I watch all three of those shows, Lady Who Lives, Selling Sunset, and um, the one in Tampa too as well. I will say Selling Sunset, that takes a certain level of clientele and skill. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you right now, selling a million-dollar property, um, you have to have a certain type of strength and an ability to handle a million-dollar client because when you're talking to the people with wealth, You can't talk to them when it comes to finances. These people have cash on hand. Um, So you're really serving them. So them telling you what they want and things that may seem unbelievable to a $500,000 budget to them is like, well, it makes sense for me. I can dream and I can get it. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of match the level of where your client is. Um, I believe ladies who listen in the Tampa show as well. I, I feel like it is a little bit more realistic and there is drama. When you're on a competitive sales floor and you have listings out there, you got to get in when you fit in. And this is how our bills are paid. So unfortunately, there should be a level of communication when it comes to sales floors with your agent or who you're working with. But at the end of the day, we're all trying to feed our family. So if it's going to be something that I can get a client on, and I have a qualified client that can come in, then it is what it is. We're going to get it done. So they have a lot of drama. I think they can kind of scale back on the drama and show more <laughs> of the professionalism but I think overall it does give you a realistic idea like we're still humans women still beef in the office Mm -hmm. men just as bad so I mean it happens but at the end of the day you got to do what you got to do to survive so it is kind of a dog eat dog world I will say gotcha
0: and then also when you spoke about the difference, because they do sell like those higher dollar points or price point luxury real estate, is mm-hmm. that something that you kind of see yourself growing into to scaling up to get to that level? Because when I see their commissions, I'm like,
1: that's my salary. like Salary <laughs> <laughs> times three. No, okay. seriously. I'm serious. Yes. So to answer your question, I've always told myself I wanted to be a million dollar listing agent. I always pray about that. I declare every day that I'm going to be a millionaire all the time. I, you know, I've even been told like financially, cause I am so aware and, and I am so um, conscious about my finances. Somebody's like, you're going to be a bank where money just comes in and out of you, where you'd be able to fund things and pay for things. So that is a part of my desire. So I, yes, yes. To answer your question, <laughs> <laughs> but to see their commissions and stuff like that, a lot of that comes with a lot of risk and cost too as well. It looks good on the screen, but mm-hmm. you got taxes, you got to pay, you know, your broker commission fees and all of that too. And then sometimes if you're on a team, you have to split that with a person. So mm-hmm. it may look good, but Sally may and, you know, Uncle Sam, they're going to get their money. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have gotcha. an introduction really quick. Okay. Um, do you have any desire to kind of branch out on your own and be independent? I do. Yes. So my sales manager has been trying to hold me for a long time because she knows. Seven years. Well, and I just, I've been selling real estate for three Mm -hmm. and I've been working in the industry for the other four. So it's coming to my seven year term. And at this point I'm like ready to go. Like, I'm like, okay, I can talk to all kinds of clients and this, this and that. So, yes, to answer your question, I do and eventually will be going independent from the builder that I work with. But right now with the market that we're in, it's not suitable for me right now to jump into a general brokerage market uh, because a lot of clients right now are having issues with qualifications. And I would have to restart my whole entire marketing clientele and database and all of that in order to try to get a sale. So, um, yes, to answer your question, I eventually will be so. Cool. That's cool. I can see it already. Um, <laughs> um, How many <about> for you guys? <laughs> I already feel like we need two episodes. I'm just gonna interject that because I feel like there's so much we wanna ask. <laughs> no, it's okay. If you wanna split into episodes, you definitely can. Um, you know, whatever y'all wanna do. I I have the questions here, and I have like a lot to talk about, so I can help y'all in any way. You're so yeah. sweet.
0: Candace.
1: Okay, I'll shush again. I'm muting myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're good um so kind of taking a pivot from tv to social media so i'm a, i love twitter and i know that you're also active on twitter as well but one of the things that um kind of annoys me about twitter is there's a never-ending cycle of topics that just come back up people argue about the same things and then it's like okay then it dies down for a couple months but one right. thing that always comes up is Home ownership versus renting. So some people are like renting is throwing money down the toilet. I don't agree with. Some people say home ownership is, you know, a waste for whatever the other, whatever those reasons are or whatever they feel um, is the case. Um, what are some outside of those um um examples, what are some myths or misconceptions that you've heard or that you want to like debunk, so to speak, that people have in regards to home ownership specifically? Um, and like the negatives or even the positives that people may assume about home ownership as well.
1: So the first thing that I want to say is your journey is not going to be like somebody else's journey. You don't make the same amount of money as a person right next to you. So what they qualify for, you're not going to qualify for the same thing. Um, So keep that in mind too. And then we do have some weird stigmas against financing as far as like different race. Some Mm -hmm. people may qualify for more because they are of a different race and being African-American, we may not qualify you know, for much. So things like that, it just could be a different situation. So don't use what you see on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram <laughs> as a reason on why you should rent or own. Um, I will say it depends when it comes to renting or own. So that's the first misconception. It's a situation based. Some people literally cannot afford a mortgage payment. So, and I think right now, so many people are buying homes that it's becoming a trend. And almost to the point that it's becoming like a social media status, like, oh, I own a house, but you house poor, you know, mortgage payment is $2,000, but you can't buy groceries, you can't go hang out with your friends, you can't do things that you like to do. And unfortunately, you put yourself in this bucket where you can't afford and you don't want to purchase something at the, the top of your budget and you can't afford it. So. I think that um, it's become a trend with some people, and I think that people really need to think through their finances clearly before they make that step. Now, -hmm. there are some things like with owning, you do save more money. You do, instead of throwing your money in the trash, you are getting equity back. So there are benefits to that. Um, So I think another misconception that you hear, they think that you need to have like 20% down or a large down payment. That's not necessarily true. We have loan programs out there right now that has as low as 3% down. So when you're talking about, you know, a $300,000 house, that can be as, as far as between seven dollars to $10,000 down, you know, mm-hmm. depending on the price point or where you're purchasing, you may not need to have that much money as a down payment. So that's another one. Having a 20% down payment, people say that all the time, you don't have to have that. Um, let's see, because I wrote these down too, because I know you asked the question. I have (laughs) another question. (laughs) Oh, uh, there's another thing too. So if you get qualified, so say you guys do a pre-approval and the lender sends back a letter and you get qualified at 300,000. And they say that that's your absolute max. Do not buy a home at your absolute max, because you're not going to have room for other things that I talked about, like maybe possibly having a lifestyle or grocery shopping and all of that too. So That's another misconception. Just because a lender approves you does not mean that you can afford it. Mm. Okay. Um, Another misconception is you got to have perfect credit. People are like, oh, I got to have a 750. I got to do this. I got to do that. No, you don't have to have a 750. A lot of the lenders, and I'm not a licensed lender. So I just want to go ahead and say that too, that I'm not a licensed loan officer. I am only just stating this based off experience and based off of working with clients. So anything I do say, make sure that you do research and ask you know, a a licensed loan officer for your qualification. But from what we've been seeing, you don't need to have a perfect credit score. They're asking for a minimum of 620. They will prefer a 640 um, for your loan program. And that could be like for an FHA loan. So you don't have to have it in a 700. You still can qualify for a house with that credit score. However, the higher your credit score, the more money you will qualify for. Mm -hmm. So if you want to wait out a little bit to work on your credit score, then you will qualify for more with the house. Candice, if I can interrupt, can you just say what FHA
0: loan means for people who don't know?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So there are different types of loans. Um, I want to say that there's actually four different types of loans. So you have an FHA loan, which is the Federal Housing Administration loan. So it is a government-funded loan. This loan only requires you to put 3.5% down. So whatever the sales price is, you multiply that by 3.5%, and that's how much you're required to put down as your down payment. So the bank will fund the other 97.5 or 96.5 of the loan. Um, so that's what you're responsible for. Those uh, typically a lot of people uh, pick that program because it is low down payment. um. And then sometimes they have lower credit scores. So it's a little bit more affordable for them to find a house. Hmm. You have USDA. USDA is United States Department of Agriculture. So that is for homes that are in the rural or kind of country areas. So if you're in Charleston, that would be like Monk's Corner, Somerville, possibly like Hollywood, areas like that. Um, They have loans where it's 100% financing. So you don't have to put any money down. Um, They fund the loan 100%. You just have to bring closing costs to the table. So that's USDA. And then you have conventional, and conventional is low as 3% down. That's not a government funded loan. That's just a normal loan. If you have a Great credit score. Typically, this is for people who have a higher credit score. So if you're like in the 700s and you can put down three or you can put down five or 10%, conventional loan is going to be a more of a general buyer loan. And then you have VA loan, which is for veterans. um, And those are for military buyers. And that's also 100% financing. So those are different loan programs. Cool. Cool.
0: Yeah, that's super helpful. (laughs) And it's interesting because um, even looking at like what I've been experiencing, because when I first started, I um, got pre approved for FHA. I was just looking for FHA based off my finances, based off my credit score. It just seemed like that would be the one I'd be I'd be most qualified for. But mm-hmm. what I've started to see is that people or um, sellers were more attracted to conventional or, of course, all cash. Because apparently, and again, I'm not a lender either. I'm just somebody who's trying to get through this. Right. Um, <laughs> but apparently, the because the the FHA loan is a federal loan, there's a lot more. Um, uh, I guess like uh, requirements from the sellers, and so to speak, as far as what they're gonna approve the buyer for. So if right. there's certain repairs I need to get done, they're likely not gonna approve the buyer until they're done, or until the house is moving ready to their standards. And so yeah. that's kind of why I now pivoted to um, a conventional loan, also because it's been more time. I've been able to save more money. My credit score has increased since then, so I've now been qualified for the conventional. But it was interesting to learn that difference um along the way that you know why people are more attracted to that especially because it's the seller's market they can get whatever they want so they could be a lot more picky with the kinds of um financing options that they're accepting and offers
1: yeah and i would just suggest even for those that are looking for a house even if there's like a down payment assistance they're giving you free closing costs they're giving you all these incentives always read the fine print i think a problem with our generation now is we're so quick for instant gratification. We want things done quickly technology, but sometimes with some of these down payment assistance and some of these loans, you may have to like anything that they're given free is going to come at a cost. Mm -hmm. So don't think that just because they say like, Oh, it's 15, $15, $15,000 down payment assistance. But with some of them, you have to live in that house for like five years Mm -hmm. and you don't know that, but you know, you're, you just want a house at this point. Now, for some people that works, but for you that's trying to use real estate to hop around, there's qualifications, and you always need to make sure that you're reading that before um, you get to the get to the table and want to move forward. So, and I always tell my clients, buying a house is grown folks business, and if you ain't ready to be grown, you ain't ready to buy. A house. <laughs> no, I'm serious, okay? If you want to cry about it, then you're not ready. This is this is real stuff. Like, you can't be playing around. You can't just sign off on docs and you don't understand what you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's gonna yeah. be the title of the show: Buying a House is Grown Folks Business. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Buying a House is Grown Folks Business. <laughs> Candace had it first.
0: <laughs> um, and I also wanted to, to go back to when you talked about, or when you brought up the misconception of people assuming they have to put twenty percent down. Because I know when I was starting through the process, my parents was like, "Okay, make sure you got the twenty percent before you even start looking." First of all, you all bought your first house when y'all were married. Y'all had two incomes contributing. It's just right. me. Yeah. I want to contribute to that, you know, to the 20%. But I see why they said that because, you know, it does um it does alleviate or again, depending on what loan, what type of loan you get, putting 20% down usually um takes out you having to pay the private mortgage insurance or the PMI. Yeah. I forget yeah. what that stands for. Um, but I've since learned that there's other there's some loan programs that won't like you don't need to have 20% down and they still won't include the PMI or whatever the case is. So just yeah. wanted to kind of reemphasize that and um don't let your parents all the time tell you what to do because they had a different situation and it was what 30 something years ago when they bought their first house <laughs> right uh, and in jersey like we were in a completely different state they were married i'm you know doing this by myself so definitely take into account what your personal situation is like candice mentioned earlier and don't use other people's examples as your like cut and piece template like definitely take their experiences their lessons learned and uh, use that um, and uh, you know take that with a grain of salt but um, everybody's situation is not going to be applicable to you
1: yes agreed agreed
0: um so kind of backtracking a little bit the reason I wanted to have this episode is our last episode we were talking about goal setting and as I've kind of alluded to throughout this episode I'm also looking to buy a house (laughs) um but um, it's so it's been a little bit over a year and I've kind of learned a lot of things, especially with the market and learning what the seller's market means for someone like me as a first time home buyer and the difference between a seller's market, buyer's market, all that kind of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Thinking
0: from a trend perspective, well, one, let me see, would you mind defining for people what a seller's market is versus a, um, a buyer's market? And then we'll get into some of the market trends that you've been seeing.
1: Yeah. So a seller's market is what we're in right now, where the sellers basically have the upper hand. Um, There are no houses on the market and buyers are scrunching and fighting and bidding and it's a lot going on. So buyers don't have the upper hand sellers do right now. So if you have a property that can sell, um, you're definitely going to have at least probably a minimum of five buyers on that property. Um, Now, when you have a buyer's market, that means that there's a ton of houses on the market and not enough people to buy. So everybody trying to sell their house now, nobody want to buy a house. So that's the buyer's market where, you know, everybody is at, at this point that can sell a house. They don't want to sell it. And then the seller's market is they can sell it and they have people line in a line that can buy it. So that's kind of the difference between um, both of the, the markets for sellers and buyers.
0: Yeah. And I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, Like you know, rates were really low. Houses, people—I don't don't know why people were just trying to buy um, houses a lot. And I feel like I kind of missed that sweet spot, so to speak. But again, I didn't—I don't think I missed it really because I wasn't—I wasn't ready. i I didn't understand the process as as thoroughly as I do now. I wasn't financially prepared. My credit score was so. It was a lot that I needed to do anyway. So I don't. Looking back, I don't think I was ready anyway. No matter how good the um, it seemed like it would have been for me at that point. Um, but yeah, I wanted to uh, ask you, what are some trends that people that are just looking to buy or even sell their home um, should be mindful of or cognizant of both current state and what you're seeing may happen in the future? I know people are talking about the market's going to crash. People that just recently bought homes are likely not going to be able to afford them. or gonna, They're going to go bankrupt. So what is it that you're seeing? Tell us the truth. Um, what can we <laughs> expect moving forward? Me, we meaning me, because I need to know what's going on. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I I look at the news just about like every couple of days just to kind of see because if the market crashed, I mean, I ain't gonna have no job, child. So I gotta, I have have to be on it, okay? Um, But I think another thing is the misconception is to to answer your question and to also address a misconception is like the market's going to crash. The market is going to crash. Oh, it's back in 2008. It is not going to crash, okay? It's not going to crash. Y'all don't wait for houses to go cheap. 50% off, get a house for for 70% off? No, it's not going to happen. The government is too smart to let the the country crash like how it did in 2008. They're not going to let that happen. And I even been looking because I'm like, I need to see if the market is going to crash and I need to prepare financially, you know, if something changes. Um, so another thing right now with the market trends is interest rates are at an all-time high. Um, Mm. You know, when when I think a couple months ago was probably like in the three point sevens, I think right now they're at like four point five to about five percent. Mm. Now, I will say that when I bought my house about four years ago, I bought at the top of the market and that was in 2017. My interest rate was a four point one. And even after that, in 2018, 2019, people were getting houses for 3%. So I was like, dang, I bought at the top of the market. Now all the interest rates are much lower. So that was a little bit frustrating. Um, Another market trend is prices are going to keep going up. Um, unfortunately. I don't think that it's going to skyrocket, but you're going to gradually see prices go up over time. Currently, right now in the neighborhood that I'm uh, co-selling in, that I'm waiting before I move to another community, um, every three sales, we've been increasing prices between two to 5000 mm-hmm. so what So what that says is the reason why they're increasing prices is because they want to actually slow down the sales. They don't want to sell out the entire community where there isn't any houses left by the end of the year. So they have to actually drive up price to control demand. Mm. So that's a market trend that is kind of happening right now. Another thing would be just inflation overall. I mean, we see grass prices, we see groceries. I don't care how much money I make. Everything is just too expensive right now. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I could be saving my coins instead of spending it on extra (laughs) stuff. So the market trend um, right now is inflation as well. And that's honestly because we have labor shortages with truck drivers, COVID really hit the United States extremely hard. So a lot of shortages came through. Um, and I would just say also with the, the market trends, like no matter what the market looks like, I feel like any time, honestly, is going to be a great time to buy because it's your situation. It's your time frame, It's your finances. You have to make it work. So whether you wait now or whether you wait later, You can either pay at a high price point and a high interest rate, but that doesn't mean on the back end that you may be paying for something later. You understand what I mean? Taxes could go up. At some point, there's going to be something that you're going to have to pay for that you may not want to agree with. Mm -hmm. And I will say after owning my first home in 2017, buying at the top of the market, I survived. Markets were, you know, and I was able to refinance four years later, you know, so I would just say that's what I've been seeing in the industry now selling three years. Um, I think that the market will have like a dip where it may be a little bit more affordability, but unfortunately the crashing part is just not going to happen. So
0: I was hoping for an off (laughs) sale or something.
1: Honestly, when you think about that though, think about this from a homeowner, a homeowner's point of view, you're in a neighborhood And all the houses around you say you are. You guys already own your houses, and then the neighborhood starts to tank. So that means that all the equity in your house begins to go down. Mm -hmm. So you don't want the market to crash, right? You don't. We say that because you want to get in, right? Honestly, from a home ownership and a a, a value standpoint, you don't want that to happen because it's actually going to be a negative value on the property that you own, and for you to resell is going to be a problem because you bought high and now houses are half and why would I buy your house when I can get it for that now you you know what I mean so think about it from that standpoint if you get in now and prices goes up that means that you got in where you can afford but you still have equity that can build Mm. so you don't technically it's kind of like you kind of want to buy in the middle of the market you don't buy too high or too low you know so you still want that room for growth so yeah that makes sense
0: yeah. And I think um, one of the things that you were, you mentioned um, before in regards to you and your work like because you specifically work with a builder that they at some point need to control the demand. So yeah. is that because they, well, I mean, at some point you run out of land to build on. So is that kind of the like bare, like bare bones, like that's the reasoning behind that to where they don't want to sell out too quickly to where they like at the end of the year, or at the end of two years, they no longer have space to build anymore. And then they're kind of just... Nobody has work. Is that kind of what the scenario is?
1: So honestly, I will say not necessarily. Okay. A lot of a lot of builders, a lot of land developers are have been buying land two to three years prior to you seeing it built on the ground. So mm-hmm. when you see a home sign go up that says "new houses coming soon," they then bought that land like two years ago. Mm, okay. So, this ain't something that just they just started bidding on and they just got six months ago. No, ma'am. It's, it's been in land development books for years mm-hmm. and they've been working out the cost of it. So, yes, they do drive up pro- prices to control demand. Um, I think also, too, it's a margin thing, because when you think about it, lumber at the same time is going up as, as far as prices. So if we're selling at a cheaper price as much as lumber is going up. Mm. As a seller, we're always going to give the cost to the buyer. Regardless if you're selling at a boutique, you bought from a a manufacturer, you want to give that cost to the person that's buying. You just want Mm -hmm. to build it into. Mm -hmm. So the same thing as far as like with builders, they do the same thing. They have margins that they have to meet with these budgets. And as lumber goes up, as all these costs goes up, supply costs, all of that, they have to add that into price increases as well. So now if you're, if they're driving prices at five, $10,000 like that, then that's going to be an appraisal issue. We're going to have issues with the house is not appraising at the right value. But I think it's just honestly, because yes, they want to control demand. They want to meet their margins, but they want to make sure that there's enough houses to kind of spread out throughout the time or the life of the community. So, yeah. Interesting. So
0: at the beginning of the pandemic, um, because I did hear about a lot of like the um, supply or supply uh, um, shortages. So Mm -hmm. lumber was, you know, people were upcharging for lumber because they couldn't get enough in and other things, other materials. I forget what other materials were impacted. How did that impact your company? You know, you guys are builders. So you need those kinds of materials to build. Did it stall anything at any point or slow things down? Or did you see prices have to shift a little bit to accommodate for it?
1: Yeah. So we had a, we had a lot, once, once again, price increases. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot of delays um, in the community that I had just closed out. And actually I had to push a closing. I have two closing that was supposed to close at the end of this month. And they're not because of the shortages at the beginning of the pandemic, they didn't have windows. Windows was like a, what, three, six months timeframe out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then after that, they had issues with flooring, um, like tile, like for some reason, tile was out. And then recently at the end of last year, there was an issue with garage doors, like garage doors wasn't coming in. I'm like, well, what is going on (laughs) now? Today we have issues with cabinets. So my buyers that I have right now can't close because cabinets was supposed to be delivered two weeks ago and it's not. And we don't have any control over that. But when we tell a buyer that they're delivering it this day, we're getting the date directly from the supplier. Mm -hmm. We have no control over it. So yes, there has been a lot of things that's changed. That's what I've seen: a lot of shortages, a lot of price increases, and even our commissions as sales agents have been cut because of things like that. And you would think, like, I'm selling, I'm selling the block, you right. know? Like, I'm out here <laughs> doing it. Why y'all cutting me? Right. So they're making cuts anywhere possible, and wow. that's a part of the process. And I mean, it's it's frustrating, but it's a part of the game, you know and That it just, it is what it is. So hopefully we can get people back into a a good groove where things are going to be well, but the market is just crazy right now. So yeah. Yeah. Now that's new home construction. I can't speak for general brokerage. Those houses are already (laughs) built and pre-owned. So, you know, they probably don't have any issues. The only thing is it will be financing really, but new construction girl, it has been tough. It really has. been. Yeah. How do
0: you manage your um, I mean, with those kinds of situations, of course, dealing with the buyers, I'm sure there's a lot of frustration. Like, how do you keep them calm? Because, I mean, you can't do anything. You're not the one that's making the the lumber, or the cabinets. How do you keep them calm so they stay along and like are with you in the process? And don't feel like, you know, they're you know, like you're the reason that they're you know not getting in their home at the time frame. They want to get into it.
1: One thing I've learned is just keeping it 100 with them that's all I can do and not assume responsibility when people are all upset. I've learned that all last year. Um, I sold in one of the most difficult and least aesthetic communities, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't the prettiest, it was in the smallest neighborhood Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was by a railroad track and it just, it just wasn't like the best, you know, for houses. And I had to keep them hundred. If we had to close change the date. I just told them like, Hey, I'm not responsible, but this is what we're doing. And I'm here walking it out with you. And, um, but I would just tell you like just a personal situation. We, um, had one of our buyers and she's so sweet, but she didn't mean no harm. And I, I understood, I understood she was closing. We had set her closing date, but she had shipped all of her furniture to the house, and we have in our contract: don't send furniture before you. <laughs> <closed." laughs> and unfortunately, she couldn't get it; she couldn't hold it any longer. So, girl, the sofa was delivered to our sales office. Her table, <laughs> the bed, everything. So, our office is filled. You know, we have appointments; we can't. So, I had to tell her to come get the stuff. So. Two, three days later, I'm calling her like, girl, you got to get this out of the office. My manager is up on me. You got to come get this stuff. Right. So she comes in and she just gives it to me. She's like, I'm sick of this. Shit. La, 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 la. You guys are taking too long. I mean, cuss me. Slam out. <laughs> and she starts crying because she's so frustrated. And she's so built up with emotions. And I was like, do you mind if I give you a hug? And she's like, what? Sometimes I've learned to throw people <laughs> off <laughs> when they're upset. And she was like, I don't want to hug you. I was like, just give me a hug. We're all frustrated right now. I'm like, don't you think you not closing is Matt is is frustrating to me right. too? I don't get paid until you close. So I kind of just had to get on her level and put myself in her shoes. So I was very empathetic and sympathetic with the buyer. So that has been a part of my process in this crazy, crazy market. So
0: Ooh-wee. yeah, sometimes I watch <laughs> Instagram stories and I'm like, oh girl, I couldn't. I couldn't be me. Yeah.
1: I mean, you'll be surprised. And the buyers will make decisions and then blame the agent. Like, oh, we tell you, you need to bid higher on the house.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And they said, well, I don't. Okay. Well, you lost the bid. What you want me to do? You didn't want to listen to me. Now you mad at me. Now I'm the bad person, you know? So just keep in mind when you are hiring agents to be, to understand that they are real people, that they're on your team and they're there to help you as much as possible to get to the end goal of home ownership so and the journey is not going to be easy it's always going to be bumps in the road so just be privy to that before you start
0: yes you just brought something else up finding the right agent (laughs) yeah when I first started I knew I knew who I wanted to be my agent I was like, okay. I need somebody who's gonna understand me. So I need somebody pretty young or like a little bit older than me. And I needed somebody who's black. I don't know why, but I felt like that, that's just something that was gonna be important to me <laughs> as a buyer, um, just to understand like what my interests were, the parts of town I wanted to live in and the reasons for that. Um, and so I, I started talking to a couple of people. I was listening to different like um, interviews or a different like um, podcasts or whatever, whatever people were doing in the industry just to kind of get a sense of who in my area would be a good fit. Um, But ultimately I ended up going with the um, agent that my parents use super sweet couple, older couple, of course, family, you know what I mean? Like they had a, they had a different, they have a different set of buyers that they work with. And I understand that now. So it's definitely family, couples, older, settling, like not trying to be in the mix type of people. So I spent a time with them for, I think I, I had them as my agents for about six to seven months and it just, I just, every time, like, we, every time we would go through an offer, I'm like, I know they're not the right ones, like, something is not right, like, it's not working for me, and I just kept fighting it back, because I wanted to work with someone that I knew, I was like, well, I want to give them the business, I want them to, you know, be active again, because I think my mom had told me that they hadn't, um, they weren't, you know, as active as they were before, and, like, they'd love to work with you, just to kind of keep it in the family, throw that away, throw that away, throw that away, yeah, don't, Don't. (laughs) because my new agent, I feel like I I learned so much. She tells me things in a lot of detail to where the other agents, again, nothing against them, but it was very like, oh, don't worry about that. Or, you know, "Eh, like, you don't need to worry about that. Like, we'll do that. And like, I, I get that to a certain extent, but also as someone who's young, who's able to do a lot of research on their own. So I would come to them and say, hey, I heard about this you know, writing a letter thing. Like, what is that? How does that work? Or what do people, what situations um, do people accept offers with that in place? I, of course, understanding that that's not always going to win you an offer, but it's something I just heard about. So I want to learn more about it. Right. So I felt like I had to do a lot of independent research and work. And then I know sp- talking to you, Candace, we talked about me transitioning to the new agent as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, they should be working for you. Like the agents are there to, make your needs a reality, so to speak, of course, within your financial um, ability and capabilities. But it just felt like I had I was doing a lot of independent work and research and I was getting frustrated because I didn't feel as knowledgeable along the way in working with them. And so I ultimately changed to uh, a different uh, agent. And like I mentioned, um, I feel like I'm learning a lot along the way. She's defining things, even if I already knew the definition, she's still, you know, like, hey, I'm going to like, here's what it means just in case you didn't already know. We're, you know, having conversations in the driveway about the types of offer I should put in. She's telling me about the neighborhood. Um, You know, if she's heard from other agents, she's calling other agents, you know, calling the listing agent. So it was very more proactive, even though she's not even a full-time agent. She's part-time. She works at another, she has another job, Um, but she's just so invested in the buyer experience and has really paid attention to my needs as well as being able to answer the questions that I had. And just, you know, knowing that I'm a first-time home buyer, she doesn't have any assumptions about. What I know, what I don't. She just assumes I don't know anything, which is great. And I just tell her, like, oh yeah, I heard about that, but I didn't realize it was that. So definitely, again, the agent is really, really important. Recommendations are really helpful. And if you know someone who's in it, then yes, you know, chat with them. But you're gonna know in your gut because I knew in my gut from day one that it wasn't right. But I was like, Well, this is family, we (laughs) know the folks, but it's really, really important because you're again whoever they worked before. They're not you, so you really need to make sure that they're able to meet your needs, and that they're going to work for you in the way that you need to be, um, you know, during this process.
1: Yeah, yeah. We always say you got to make your agents earn earn their commission. We say that from agent to agent because you do have some even in new home sales. You know, we still have to take care of the client in the same regards of you know, as, as they would with general brokerage, it's just that we're not driving them around. We're showing them multiple houses in that neighborhood. So we still have to have a buyer experience. We still get surveys Mm -hmm. and we still get uh, scored on our capability on whether or not we can take them from finish to end with no issues. So we still have to do that. Um, So, yeah, it is important to make sure that you vibe well, you match well, the agent is well knowledgeable. um, And then they're not just, you know, an uh, agent that just wants to just pop out and just send you listens like girl go ahead and just just go by i didn't know you coming just <laughs> call me afterwards when you are done just let me know how it went like oh i need you to come with me i don't know these people in here you know you gotta and you just gotta ask those questions and see how they are so interview your agent when you have those buyer consultations and when you reach out to them and they talk to you, you need to ask those questions too and ask them how are they with introducing new buyers to the industry and the market. So, yeah.
0: And then even the transition process, like there's a certain etiquette to letting the agent go and before you start working with another one. So there's yes. there may be certain, um, I forget what the term is when you work exclusively with one person yeah. and you can't um, overlap, obviously. So I had to make sure that um, whatever paperwork was signed, it would like cleanly release me. So that way, I think it's, it's in the event your current agent shows you a property that the other agent showed you, like there's some there's some sort of conflict with that. Um, yes, you cannot.
1: Yeah. you cannot do that. Y'all listen to me, y'all. We talk amongst one another just as you would if you're all working in the same industry and we know whose client is who and you need to if you sign a buyer's agreement, that's what you're probably talking about. Buyer's agreement, contract with an agent, you're signing that this person is going to represent you and show you all the houses. You cannot, listen to me. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot go Talk to another agent if you signed a buyer's agreement with one. You have now started beef and war between <laughs> agents. Okay. So like monogamy. Like this is like harder than dating. <laughs> yeah, it is hard. It is harder than dating. Now we're fighting. Now we're upset. You know, we're trying to be professional, but now I got to reach out to the agent and be like, is my client talking to you? No, that's my client. First of all, she signed an agreement with me back in April. Was well, she just signed with me. Now we got to track down who had who first. Now we're about to fight. Now we're upset at you. So I think that you guys need to understand too, it's not a hop around. Agents don't get paid until you close. So if you waste our time by asking us questions and sitting down with us and talking about financing and signing a contract and going from house to house and we pay for the gas and you don't pay for the gas and we don't get paid until you close. And then you go to another agent it's almost very, very disrespectful. And it's almost like you showing up for work and not getting a check. Mm. And, 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 and that's hard. And sometimes it happens. We have buyers that just eventually don't want to move forward or can't because of financing and it happens, but it's a part of the job. And we know that, but it's something that buyers need to be very understanding about. You start with an agent, continue with it. If it doesn't work out, cancel the agreement and then talk with somebody else. So that's a proper way to handle it. (laughs)
0: Yes. Follow the rules, y'all. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The last question that I had, and then I'll see if uh, Tanya or Jocelyn have anything else to add um, as well. Um, So first, congrats on your new home. I saw that you just bought a new home. Um, So one, how did you know you're ready to buy your new home? And then two, (laughs) what are you doing with the current home that you're in or the one that you had previously?
1: So the current home that I'm in right now, it's actually going to be a rental because, you know, learning the market I'm now like okay I'm well versed on being a landlord at this point and it's time Mm -hmm. Uh, I knew that I was ready because this house is too small I am I want a bigger house I'm just ready to just be in a bigger space Nat you've been here so you already know what it looks like
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, cute.
1: I mean it's good I guess it's a great starter home but for me it's like and and just for those listening it's just a two-bedroom two bathroom two and a half bathroom town home and you know and it's like great it's so small it worked for me in the beginning but I'm just ready for a bigger space um and then in the new house the new house is much larger it's four bedrooms almost 2400 square feet two car garage so it's like okay girl you stepping it up okay <laughs> but I I decided to buy because I felt like this is a good time to buy. And once again, I'm buying at the top of the market. So mm. back in 2017, I bought at the top of the market. So I got in where I could. Right. Um, and then using my commission, of course, as a as a part of like closing costs and all that. So I'm not using that to pay myself, but I'm using that to pay for the house to get the price down. So yeah. So how I knew that I was ready, every step, I think with each house, I got tired of the place mm. that I was at. And I was just like, you know, I think it's time for me to grow, but I had to work through my finances. So now I'm back at step one. I'm mm-hmm. back at where I was in the trailer and with my e-workbook, which is what I created to kind of help, a, you know, buyers and just regular people budget money for 12 months. And now I'm like, okay, so now I got house one. Now I got, you know, utilities and all that for <laughs> house one and HOA okay now I got house two so what do I need to charge for you know so now I'm back in my my checkbook and balancing it all over again so finances is just something that you always have to keep revolving um at the end of the day whether it's one house or two so Mm -hmm. but I'm excited I really am I'm closing soon and I hope that um you know I'm supposed to be closing soon it is new construction I'm not telling anybody where I live at all because people are crazy (laughs) you get a if you get a housewarming invitation that you'll be there but other than that I'm just like I'm just excited just for the opportunity and to just grow and you know what I didn't even buy my forever house mm-hmm. you know I I could have right. bought my forever house but I didn't because I don't want to live outside of my outside of my means. Mm-hmm. and I still want to be married and have kids and I want to experience that with my husband like we can get mm-hmm. all the bells and whistles together yeah, now yeah. we just gonna have a little step up you know. <laughs> so yeah, so that's how it kind of happened. Um, it's been going on for a couple months now. I've been living in boxes, so I'm a little stressed out. But other than that, I've been making it and just ready for the next chapter in my life. So yeah.
0: That's awesome. And I know I said that was my last question, but of course, more questions <laughs> popped up. Um so you mentioned that you use the commissions or you could have used the commission to help. So did you represent yourself when you went yes. in the buying process? Okay.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. No, at that point it's like, why do I need an agent to, to yeah. do what I already do myself? Yeah. So we can actually use that commission as you know, because we, we're going to get paid. So I don't even want the check back.
0: Right. Take it off the price. Because
1: uh-huh. right. You know what I mean? Um, so any couple of grands that can knock down my mortgage payment is going to be great for me. So yeah. yeah.
0: And your townhome, when you bought it, did you have in mind like, okay. I'm buying this because I think it'll be a good rental property in the future. Or did you buy it just like, this is my starter home. It's great. It's perfect size for me. I'm not even thinking about what's going to happen in the future.
1: I honestly bought it because it's what I could afford. That's mm. it. And it mm. works. And I knew that I had a little interior design flair. So when I bought it, it was ugly. But <laughs> I knew that it had good bones. And mm. I didn't think about being a landlord. I didn't think about mm. renting it out. I was just like, this is what I can afford. And the mortgage payment is great. And I can still live my life. I can still go out with my girlfriends, have a good time, and not be broke as a joke. As a rest, she of be
0: out, life. y'all. She be out. I do. Mm-hmm. I have
1: a. I have a great time with my friends. So <laughs> that is, and I still want to be able to still have the same lifestyle. So I still bought within my means, and even with buying a second property, I had to run it back again. I had to talk to the lender. Can I afford two mortgages if something falls out? They're like, oh yeah, you can. Uh, I don't want to. So let's qualify me for as if I were to qualify for one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but I'm still living within my means and I'm buying what I can afford. I've never been, cause I do want the million dollar listing house. Mm-hmm. I do want the four bathrooms and like three, four, five car garage. You know what I mean? Like, you know, five acres, 10 acres. Mm-hmm. I don't want it all, But I'm not, I'm not there yet. And I don't want to be there yet if I'm not ready. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody else have any questions? <laughs> Nat, Nat asked questions. you anybody else have questions? <laughs> um, I don't think I have anything. Um, the question I was going to ask, um, you kind of answered at the beginning. I was just going to ask what are some takeaways for people looking to purchase their first home in this market? What are some takeaways for them to consider? Um, well, we definitely talked about a lot, but I think what I told Nat when she was starting her process is just prepare yourself emotionally. The market, even what two years ago, Nat has been crazy then. And it's so crazy now. So I would say the takeaway is to just be prepared um, for anything to happen. There's going to be bumps in the road. Um, And you need money. Okay. So don't step to anybody and say, you want to buy a house and you ain't got no money. You cannot buy a house without money. I want you to hear that. That's a takeaway I definitely want you to hear. You can't buy a house without money, okay? So yes, your finances need to be in order. And if you need help with your finances, on my website um, at AbundantLifeFreeStore.com, I have an e-workbook for 12 months where it helps you write down monthly where your finances is going and what you have left over. And then it shows you how bad of a saver you are or how good you are. So- that i said finances um definitely um just understand that you just have to get in where you fit in don't buy because it's a trend right now don't feel pressured to buy your time will come when it comes so don't get overwhelmed but also do the background work of saving and being mature to actually buy a house because buying a house is grown folks business and if you're not ready to be grown you're not ready to buy a house (laughs) Cool. Tanya, do you have anything? I guess one thing I hear a lot about bidding wars, and I, I'm curious, like, you know, what your experience of that is. How do you deal with that, you know, as a first time home buyer? And are there like negotiation skills you kind of suggest for people to use? So definitely work with your agent. Uh, Your agent probably has different negotiating skills that can tell you what to do um, because everybody's skills are going to be different. However, typically what your agent is telling you is going to be absolute truth. So they're not going Mm -hmm. to tell you anything to mislead you. And so just so you know what bidding wars are. So if there is a house that is 300,000, you have people that are going to buy either at that list price or they're going to offer more. And if you are approved for, say, for instance, let's use this example, um, you're approved for 350000 but the house that you want to buy is 300000 because you want to live within your means. Well, right now, the bidding wars right now, they're bidding $20,000 over asking price. Your agent is telling you, you need to bid three twenty-five. dollars You need to become high. Like when they say highest and best, they're telling you like you need to bid as mm. high as But you know, your max is 350. So, with that, that's where you take that information, like going back to the lender at 320, 325, or 330. What is my mortgage payment if I finance $330,000? They can tell you what that is. If it's comfortable, go with it. Because an extra thousand dollars is only a $5 difference on your payment. And a lot of people don't know that. So, when you're talking about a $10,000 difference, that's not much on your mortgage payment. So $5, $5 per $1,000. Wow. So when you see people like, oh, I'm bidding $50,000 over, it's it's not really. It's like, okay, much. you bid $10 more chill out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and it, it, it could, and depending on the taxes and all of that too, you know, it depends. And if there's an HOA, it can definitely relatively affect your mortgage payment. So that's why you always run it by your lender. But if you have a max of $350 and they're telling you to bid over that then you know that you can't you don't qualify so you just mm-hmm. need to live within your means so it is possible when it comes to bidding wars but don't be afraid to go a little bit higher because it's not that much for your mortgage payment
0: yeah hmm. I always forget <laughs> about that because I because especially now um well a lot of the offers that I've seen have also been cash and I can't I nobody can compete with cash At but <laughs> um but I do often hear because for me when I was first going in like my parents again from their experience are like oh yeah Ten thousand over should be plenty, but right now that's like the bare minimum. Like you, if you there's no way you can come in and ask. Him. like anybody who's coming in to asking either has all cash or is a lunatic. Um,
1: <laughs> but
0: yeah, now that now that you kind of say that, that it really is just a five dollar um, tack on to your mortgage for every thousand dollars you um, put on the, the listing price. It makes sense because I think I often get overwhelmed and and seeing the kinds of over over um, bidding that some people are doing. But again, do it within your means because I still have my max as well. Right, um, but I'm just like, oh, it doesn't make sense for me to bid 30,000 over asking. But again, it depends on the property. Like, is it something that you're actually in love with? Is it worth you putting that extra effort and that extra whatever that dollar amount ends up being for you on your monthly expenses? Um, because some properties aren't worth it, and some some of them are, depending on what you what you need, what you need to do for your lifestyle and what you can be comfortable with. So it all comes back to do what's best for you, be absolutely. grown, follow the rules, all the stuff can no, be. And so then like,
1: you want to be careful too. I just want to say this too, with the bidding wars and all of that. There could be an appraisal issue. So just keep in mind that some banks will not fund if you bid over the appraisal value. So if the bank said, we only giving you 300,000 and you done bid 50,000 over, listen, they only give you 300,000. So that 50 that you does spit out, you better make sure that you can pay it if it comes to that. I know with VA loans, for instance, the military is only gonna give you a certain amount. Mm -hmm. You can't go outside of that. So you have to make sure that, because we've had a client Mm -hmm. like that. She bought one of the most expensive houses and it appraised $4,000 less because a house that was just like hers was $4,000 less. So the military said, we ain't ain't funding no loan with that extra four. So she was either going to be homeless or she was going to have to pay the 4,000. What'd she do? Pay the Mm 4,000. But keep Mm -hmm. that in mind. You could have appraisal issues when prices are ridiculous, and you're bidding for a house and it made the the back porch could be falling off you know like that's the point of inspectors and people going through the house to make sure it's worth you overbidding for that price too so yeah
0: awesome well yeah like tanya said we can go on and on and on but i'm gonna be respectful of your time and i know the people ain't gonna (laughs) listen forever um but to close up, well first thank you so much for being on today. Um, it's always helpful to talk to you about the process yeah. and just to always hear directly from people who actually experience it versus people who are watching it on TV or people who are on Twitter talking about it. Um, always good to go to the store. So do your research folks and talk to somebody who's actually licensed um, yeah. to get your information. Um, but in closing, Candice, where can people find you? I, we already talked about all the jobs you have. Tell anybody, <laughs> all the places they can find you, how much you cost at each place. <laughs> Yeah, tell us all your social
1: media handles, all that. (laughs) So you guys can find me. So my website, um, also sidebar, I do interior design in Charleston. Um, So if you do need interior design services, e design or in house design, we do that. My website is www.abundantliferestore.com. That's my website. Um, there you can actually book a design consultation and a real estate consultation as well. I am active on social media. My real estate page is underscore Candace, and that's Candace with an A, Candace Span, the Realtor. And I'm also on TikTok at underscore Candace Span, the Realtor. And then also on Facebook without the underscore. <laughs> so on Facebook, Candace Span, the Realtor. So you should be able to find me on all those platforms. Um, and I think that is just about it for me. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, you can buy a house. You can get your house designed. You can get candles yes. to put in the house. You can get it all. <laughs> yeah. Candace is the one. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: That's what I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be a well-oiled machine. I'm trying to save my my coin now, so I can get a little, you know, get it all together in one place and use that. But you know, my t- and just to let you know too, with my TikTok, my TikTok is used for my personality, so that I can use it for marketing too. And I just want to encourage listeners that you're always a walking billboard. So, you know, whatever it is, your company, your, your style, just, just show your personality, just be yourself and the people will fall, people will love, fall in love with you. And then the money will come, the sales will come, the buyers will come. It'll happen in due time. So that's what I've been learning. Not to be so uptight. Social media can be very uptight. So I've just been enjoying the process of social media. So I may be not as professional on this one as i am on tiktok so (laughs)
0: awesome well thank you again for your time today Um, Appreciate it. yes and thanks everybody for listening i hope this was helpful if you're on a home buying journey or considering it or if you were just curious to know about what the process entails Um, mckenna thank you again for being our second guest we are so excited that we're these guests are just popping out we don't have anything (laughs) mediocre on the podcast so that's awesome um but yeah we'll catch you all in the next episode Thank you for listening to Breaking Bread Takeover, hosted by Jocelyn, Tanya, and Natalie, presented by Goodstock Consulting. Find out more about Goodstock at www.goodstockconsulting.com.